Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, listen... Oh, I have notes. I took notes, Mike. Do you not uh, normally? I take no, notes man. every episode. I'm looking at my I notes. Show up, I have notes. I show up with a loose revolver and just start shooting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, no, I took a lot of notes this time because it, like, I, a lot of things struck me as I was playing it, which is not yeah. a typical experience. Bottles, bricks, that sort of thing. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. It's time. Ba-ba-da. Welcome to One Upsmanship. We'll retroactively decide when to cut in. Uh, it's, <laughs> sure. you know, the video game show that you've come to know and love if you know it and love it. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Swaim. And I'm the other of your hosts, Adam Ganser. That's right, a.k.a. Bones and this old bear. And... <laughs> We're joined by an especially special guest. I'm so happy to have this person here because it's someone from my new sphere, my new world. Worlds are colliding for me right now. Adam, don't scare her off. Please introduce yourself, (laughs) our very special guest. Hi, my name is Tina Mimi, and I'm the EIC of IGN, and very happy to be here to talk about a very interesting game with lots to say. Hell yes. (laughs) EIC, bitches. That means my boss. Everyone be nice. Oh, damn. I like that. Uh, I'm going to put on my big boy shirt now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. And we are talking about the groundbreaking, the, I, I think, safe to say, phenomenal, impactful. It's not my place to say yet because we haven't gotten into format, but The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, yeah. And Adam, yeah, get us on the rails because I'm sure I'm wa- uh, veering I- wildly. I love I love how you do that. You drive the bus off, and then you've got to fix it. Hey, so how long did you guys spend uh, trying to get this thing finished and not hear spoilers? Ooh. Did you guys get spoiled on the on the story of this? No, and amazingly, given that it is our jobs to be on the internet and read things on the internet, I didn't have anything spoiled for me. I, I sort of assumed wow. based on like some of the internet anger, like where, what direction the story may have gone, at least for some elements, Um, but Mm. nothing tangibly stolen. I'm pretty good about like 
I'll start to see the last of us embedded in a sentence and my mind does the <laughs> thing for me where it just blurs my vision. It's great. It's a really good feature. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I can gloss over That's... that stuff real quick. I just zone out. I'm like, nope, do not read. <laughs> yeah. Well, for the record, as usual, this is a complete spoiler cast. So people listening, if they're coming in because right. they're Tina fans should know that. Uh, we, <laughs> yeah. We've all completed the game and this is one upsmanship where we talk from the point of view of having finished the game. Uh, yeah. And it is a game that's important enough that I'd say, hey, go ahead and finish it before you listen to this episode. You can pause it. It'll stay on the Internet. Uh, I think yeah. I think even if even if a game is not good, but it's a narratively driven movie, like mm-hmm. driven st- game, it's important to finish it just to have your own experience for without, sure. Like somebody else telling you what to feel, uh, which is why I asked that question in the first place, because I sp- I like sprinted through the 32 hours or whatever it is to get this like story in my brain so that nobody could ruin it for me. Well, I'll say this. It's the first I actually do. I mean, I, we see, especially in younger kids these days, there's more and more value or people value watching games as well because they're reaching such a level of being amazing to watch. Like they're so sophisticated. They're fun just to watch my girlfriend, Jen, who cannot work the controller and has no interest in gaming. This is the first game that finally got her where she like didn't want me to play it without her present because mm-hmm. she was following the story. And that means a oh, lot to me or that made an impression on me. This is the first game wow. she's like treated it like a show and wanted to know what was going to happen. Uh, and that says something right there. I, I can't believe you yeah, did this socially. I cannot believe you played this game socially because like that. <laughs> oh. Is fundamentally the opposite of how I did this game, which was like alone in my darkness. Yeah, uh, but it's like my closest played. person. It's the same as being alone almost. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Put in the quarantine, in right? <laughs> That's what I mean. It's like, where am I going to send her? We're quarantined together. So that was an am- what are you going to do? Amazing sentiment. Yeah. Uh, so I will do what you asked me, Mike, which is get us on the rails. So our very first no. checkpoint. <laughs> yeah, no, you ahead. wanted to do a thing? Go ahead, do a thing. Go no, ahead. no, no. I was just going to answer your question, which is that oh, please. I think it's interesting I was overspoiled to I was so the people that hated this game because they're transphobic uh harped on that so much that I thought that I misconstrued the spoilers to the point that I felt completely unspoiled. Does that make sense? So like oh, I was awash in a sea of horrible trolls, but all the trolls jokes were so offensive and so beyond what a sane person would even conceive of as them being offended about that I assumed, oh, based on these jokes, this must happen. And it's not even true. They were seeing shit that's not even there just so they could hate something. (laughs) So uh, that worked out for me. Plus they based all of it, uh, as far as I can see on leaks, which like if you're, if you're looking at just the leaks of what happens in the game and you're not actually experiencing the game, there's probably a ton that you're missing. I saw a lot of the, feedback after the fact when I allowed myself to read things on the internet, uh, having mm-hmm. finished the game. And a lot of it was like, well, you know, uh, like this character kills this other character. I forget exactly what specific thing some people pointed out, but it was like, that doesn't happen actually. Like you clearly didn't play the game or didn't give it a chance. And we're going off of leaks or what people had told you from leaks. Uh, that's making it, you hate this game. It is, it is really interesting how people have tried to like sort of clog the conversation with like half truths about this game. Uh, I did when I finished the game. I definitely like fiended all the different takes. Like I just mm-hmm. needed to know what people were saying. 
uh, and I have some opinions I'd like to share later in the episode about that. But to get into format, okay, Mike, all, right, uh, all right, let's pass through our first checkpoint, mm-hmm. which is the speed run. So now, this would be um, what we stopped at a workbench and upgraded our pistol. Yeah, and no matter how fast they make it, you still feel impatient. We're like, come on, just get the bow fixed. Just fix the bow. It's true. Just get the it fixed. It looks slick, uh, though. It looks good. It did look very <laughs> slick. I, I agree. They made it fast enough that you can't really complain, but I'm still going to do it. Uh, so, I, Tina, because you may not be aware of our format, uh, the, the speed run is the time when the guest is forced by podcast law to summarize uh, what they believe the essential components of this game are in the fastest possible time. Uh, if you'd like to be the hero we know you are, you'll do it fast. If not, you know, you'll take your time. It's up to you. Yes, I got it. It is totally story-focused, but here it goes. Ready? <laughs> All right, start <laughs> ready. the clock. Go. Young adults realize too late that their vengeful hatred is suffocating the romantic prospects in the post-apocalyptic West Coast USA. <gasps> oh. <laughs> oh I mean, that's God. the gist of the story, right? <laughs> what a log line. You just wow. blew Brockway out of the water. Our previous yeah. champion had like a 12-second encapsulation. I think that was like three and a half seconds. Was it? it I, was I can very talk good. really fast. It's the New York thing. <laughs> I think she just sold a screenplay. Right? I don't know. I think that's what happened. Well, the sound effect for this segment ending is Sonic the Hedgehog drowning, and I think there might not even be time for the sound effect to play. <laughs> she might have saved Sonic. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. Your speed run was so fast. You went back in time and saved Sonic the Hedgehog. I mean, Thank if you, you. want to drown him, I could do it again, just slower. <laughs> I true. always want to drown Sonic, but Mike owes you a debt of gratitude that's eternal now and I can't take that away uh, <laughs> what a great speed run I'll just add to it if you're somehow if you're some space alien that's never heard of what this game is it's a third person uh, action I guess survival uh, yeah. game that's a sequel to a very popular game that came out in 2013 this is a PS4 exclusive I believe mm-hmm. and uh, it's probably the biggest conversation point in gaming at the moment yeah. uh, that's probably enough for people right and get this, yeah. and this is the last thing I'll say about trolls is <laughs> <laughs> certainly yeah, not the last. Imagine um, no in this episode, in this episode, imagine <laughs> hearing that a character in an ongoing zombie series dies and thinking, well, that's the end of that story. One of the main characters dies in a zombie series. I didn't see that coming. I feel yeah. betrayed. Screw Have you these seen people. The They're Dead? so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I, so That's all. I, wow. You, I love it. You're coming in so scorching hot with your with your disdain. And I love it. Uh, so that probably brings us to our next checkpoint. It does. Which is uh, our gamer rants. Now, uh, in this section, each of the three of us is going to give both our, our general impressions and opinion of where the game stacks up in your experience and also whatever hot takes you got prepared mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh and uh, typically what we'll do is we'll have one of us go first and then the guest and then one of the the, the other of us will finish it up so mike you want to go first and pour out your volcanic anger at the yeah at the crowds absolutely we're the bread love it uh we're the bread in the take sandwich i am ranting at you i am player one and I actually, I'm going to do my maneuver I sometimes do where I completely break format within the format and say that th- I have a thesis-driven statement about this game, which Ooh. is I usually come into a game, into one of these episodes with 
several I- impressions that I sort of want to expound upon because it's like a deep rating to heighten your enjoyment of the experience or make you reflect in some way. This time, the story is so front and center, and I know we will talk about gameplay as well, but uh, I basically, I'm treating it like a film. I just have an analysis of what I think the story is saying, and I really am excited to have Tina here because she wrote a phenomenal piece about Last of Us 1 for IGN, uh, that really blew up, and I want to check in with her very badly on if she thinks the <laughs> second beat of the story completely flies in the face of her interpretation of the first part of the story, because that's what I feel, and I feel like I can't necessarily Ooh. expound upon this in the rant without, like, it requires feedback. It's going to have to be a conversation. So my rant is just that I have a very clear take on this game. I think it's a take that most people will not have probably thought of because it's like a second or third tier abstraction take. And uh, and that, yeah, I'll stop the rant. I'll, I'm going to save it for Game On, wow. which is our main section. That's kind of a teaser of a rant, really. It is. Uh, you sort of teased the rant. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Tina, Mine is- if you feel... Yeah, mine is very related um, to exactly what Swain was saying, and it's it's uh it's probably at the forefront of my mind as like the most important thing about the story if you're connecting it to the first game because I think in a lot of ways people felt like the first game was so cohesive, it told a very specific story, it was analyzing character arcs in a very specific way, it left me with a very specific final interpretation where I actually really admired. Um, and sympathized with Joel in a way, despite his many character flaws, but that's kind of like what humanity is about, um, kind of juggling those two things. Uh, but yeah, like the second game didn't really need to exist. I'm glad that it did because it was such an interesting cinematic experience uh, and, and similar swam to you and your girlfriend, like kind of viewing it together. I had half of that experience with my brother watching over my shoulder for half of it. Mm. So I loved like kind of connecting to people who don't normally play games Uh, in that way to be like, see, isn't the industry cool now? Like, it's not just (laughs) pixels anymore. Um, But yeah, like, I I still don't think it needed to exist just in the sense of the first, the first game's storyline having, storyline having been wrapped in the way that it was. And it completely changed the interpretation that I had, that I believed about both Joel and Ellie um, and sort of the story that they were trying to tell. So it was a weird, it like threw me for a loop in a really weird way. Um, and mm. there were some things that I have like major criticisms on uh, that I'm like hyper-focused on just because I love the first game and I love the second one. Uh, and it's it's easy to like think about how it could have been even more perfect. Um, but it still told a really powerful story despite the very Return of the King of video game endings that it was by the end of it, uh, <laughs> despite some of my criticisms, which I should maybe save for later, well, as well as the reinforcement oh no, stuff. You're right that you just made me realize, like, Abby literally sails away to the unknown lands at the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. It's like the, the perfect, the uh, yeah, aside from having multiple endings, there's also that. <laughs> Oh, I don't know the multiple endings thing. Oh, no, just just well, that you're like always anticipating like, oh, clearly this is going to be the end. Oh, oh no, oh, wait, multiple this is really wrap-ups. the end. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was thinking Chrono Trigger <laughs> style, like a perfect run through as something different happens. But okay, good. Yeah, no, no, no different uh, endings for, for Ellie or Abby there. <laughs> it didn't feel like there could be. That would be very weird for this type of game. Yeah, very it much really so. Would. It Actually, really they would. Actually, they all ended up friends and dating each uh, other. Yeah, it was if great. You play, <laughs> if you play it right, everyone lives. Everyone. And dates. <laughs> everyone lives and dates. Uh, yep. They just form a little ro- relationship braid. 
Uh, okay. Oh what my god, I'm take? sorry. I just thought of the best prank because I'm just gonna start telling my friends <laughs> who haven't finished yet. Like, oh, you didn't save Joel? Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> I chose oh, to save Joel, but whatever. Maybe you'll play through it again. I don't know. The trick is you're not <laughs> supposed to kill anyone the entire game. That's yeah, how exactly. you get the good ending. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you didn't save. Weird. That's kind of heartless. Huh. Okay. <laughs> cool. Cool, cool. Uh, okay. Gamer 3, Adam Ganser signing in to deliver hot takes uh, and also opinions. So here's what I love about this game. Uh, this game is a courageous effort to make you empathize with terrible people. It is uh, unbelievably good at anticipating how a gamer feels and just where you're at the point where you're not going to buy in to what they're asking you to do, they give you information. Uh, I admire that as a person who makes films because that's exactly the skill set that's required of a filmmaker to know exactly when you need information and deliver it. And this game is incredible at that. Specifically, the pieces of information we get about what Ellie and Joel's relationship was toward the end are parsed out in this very deliberate and careful way that always supplies enough emotional material for me to care about the journey that she's going on. Because the truth like truth of it is, it's hard to agree with what Ellie's doing. This game forces you to kill people. And when I say forces you to kill people, I mean, like, it's not that fun to kill people in this game. It's very unpleasant. Uh, you have to, like, watch people die. And it's not like Call of Duty where they're just sort of, you know, it just feels like like kind of playful killing, I guess, or meaningless killing. It's the killing. first game I'm aware of where every faceless, quote unquote, faceless like thug you kill, their friends, they have a name. Their yeah. friends yes. go like, oh my God, someone killed Correct. Craig. Correct. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, but that's I've heard exactly Angela it. like 15 times to be fair. That's true. Just a lot of Angelus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They did recycle a name or two. I agree with that. So I, that alone is kind of daring because like, I think Naughty Dog raised the floor of what they expected out of their audience so high that they were guaranteed to get people who refused to buy in. Because to me, the barrier for entry for this game is you have to be pretty empathetic to experience the full curvature of the narrative. And... Um, there were times where I wasn't sure I was on board with this. Like definitely when I played with Abby for the first, I don't know, eight hours, mm -hmm. I was like, I don't like her. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not <laughs> winning me over. Uh, and by the end, I came to sympathize with her the same way I felt about Joel when he died. Joel was a person that was hard to care about. And yet when they killed him, I cried. And why? Because Naughty Dog is the master of making you care about somebody you don't agree with, which in this time in this country is unbelievable. Well, it's the like, definition it's really of empathy. Or empathy yes. is only tested when you disagree. <laughs> yeah. It's masterful. It's really masterful. And I don't necessarily think the game is better than the first one per se. Um, I just think the ability to accomplish that is a masterful uh, stroke of storytelling. Now, that said, Mike, I'm almost done. I, I apologize, but I'm going to push on here. You can hear me gasping. <laughs> I could. I could hear you weaseling in. I heard it. So... Uh, the last thing I'm going to say is I do understand some of the critiques, not the ones that are based on identity or gender, that people have about this story being not as good as people are hyping it up to be. I do understand that. I don't agree with it, but I know why they feel that way. And the gameplay, while much improved, it was still too long. Um, it was too long. I, no matter how much narrative they were trying to feed me, it just felt too long to me. 
it was like, this could be half the length and probably still accomplish the beats. Maybe not half, three quarters. I don't know. It just felt very tedious. And yeah, sure, you're going to tell me, oh yeah, well, that's, you know, it's to grind you down. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not so sure. I think sometimes it just kind of meandered a little bit. Uh, and I think we have to be honest about that, or I do. I and think it's because rant. developers, I'm sorry. I no, talked don't over apologize. sticking your landing, but I think it's also f- because developers feel they owe a certain amount of game per pound for the money. And that's yes. not necessarily how I feel about games, but it is how a lot of consumers feel. And I, they feel that pressure. When a single player game is 20 hours and it has a good story, I don't think it's reasonable to ask for more than that, especially given the fact that we're paying the same amount of money for video games that we've been paying for 20 years or more. I think it's reasonable, um, but that's enough for my rant. It's time for our third, se- or whatever segment we're on, Game On. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. In which uh, no holds are barred and all opinions are welcome. That's right. Uh, man, there was a lot in that rant. Yeah, the, to a lot jump the, off of for real. I'll, I'll take to, the oh, go the last one though, just because it's a simple one. But I think part of it is also when you're so focused on story, there's also an element of closure. And I think to a degree, you know, to drive both drive home the point about the character arcs um, and the growth or slow growth or lack of growth. 
Um, but also just to see all of that play out and make sure that the player gets a return on investment, not just from the money perspective, which is still a good point, because uh, I think definitely there's like a sect of gamers that believe that, that, you know, oh, I'm only getting a five hour story, even if it was the most compelling story possible. Like, how could I possibly right. have paid $60 for this thing? Mm-hmm. Um, but also for the return on investment of just involving yourself um, by taking over these two different characters and spending your time playing as them, like you want that kind of resolution. So I feel like I definitely agree that it was overextended. And I felt like, you know, at a point of time, I did want that resolution, but I'm not sure that I wanted to go back and like fight a bunch of clickers again. I don't know right. that I was in that headspace where I was like, yeah, here we go. Zombies again. Like I, I just wanted to kind of <laughs> see the resolution of the story. Yeah. Can't wait to murder another one of those hidden magic zombies that don't <laughs> yeah. appear on radar anywhere. But uh, it is great to see uh, an interactivity engine, which is what games are, that could inspire anything be used mm-hmm. deliberately to inspire empathy when so often it's used to inspire the opposite. It enshrines the player character and encourages you to remember this is consequence free, baby. It's Grand Theft Auto. Do whatever you want to anyone, uh, which is all also fun and fine in a game world as long as you're one of the bulk of people who I think can tell the difference between a game and real life. But uh, I think there's very much a place for video games that are about but let's pretend this is real life and let's talk about how you would really treat someone and what is empathy and what is morality. Uh, You know, a place for basically adult games. And I do think it's part of a trend because I, I remember it was a very big gear shift for me to start Red Dead Redemption 2 and feel that the plotting pace of it was shoddy game design, and I had this sort of cognitive dissonance and had to realize there's no way it's not deliberate how slow it is to open drawers and do everything. So it's not shoddy game design. Like, Rockstar at this point is not going to drop the ball in that big of a way. So it's intentional. Oh, it means something. It's trying to capture the bucolic feel of Western life and differentiate it from Grand Theft Auto, which is this fast-paced city vibe. And I just think... That was the first big game for me where I felt like, wow, a AAA developer challenged the player, like did something that they know some portion of the playership will find boring and a barrier to entry, but they did it deliberately because it had a point. And The Last of Us 2 falls in that category, and I'm really excited as an adult who likes adult media as well, that there's like what I would call fully matured conceptions of what an interactive experience can be that's just so thrilling in general and what a hero character can be too yeah yeah for sure please oh that's that's it it's just like the the idea of you know a a video game protagonist being in this kind of open um open-ended thing where you're you're the all-powerful you're you know you're on the side of good every single time and when i picked up um playing abby at that juncture where you do switch over, uh, you know, further into the game, not the initial uh, time that they kind of introduce it to you. Uh, when I picked up playing as her, I was like, should I even scavenge for items? Because I just want her to die anyway. So that seems mm. like the best outcome. And anytime I did die, I was like, good, like, great. Can the game just end there? Like Ellie got everything that she wanted, although not by her hand. But, you know, that that progression into actually favoring her by the end of the game yep. um, is yep. something I'm that I don't think guy. I ever... Yeah, Same. exactly. Yeah. I never, I I'm did too. not expect that. Did not see that one no, coming. No, I was... I hated her so much that I was like, as soon as she started picking up quarters, I was like, oh, of course, she's collecting quarters. She's so boring, right? It's just like, just furious. <laughs> I hate you, Andy. You're boring. Oh, pick up that Massachusetts quarter. Cool. 
What a cool character you are. It's uh, post the apocalypse. You're still collecting coins. Come on. Yeah, what are you going to turn those in? You idiot. <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but like, honestly, by the end, and this is why I don't have that much sympathy. No, I have no sympathy for the people who are mad about uh, what they'll call the social justice causes. The people that we're asked to empathize with are not. Uh, we're not being asked to empathize with them at all because or of social justice causes. Right. No, they're mm-hmm. asking us to sympathize with with really monstrous people, and they're accomplishing it. And to me, it's like uh, the fact that we're being distracted by just sort of the data points about who these people are and not the journey of it. It's like, guys, we're missing the point. This thing is asking so much more of you than just to allow people to be the identity that they are. It's asking you to sympathize with people who have monstrous decisions, and you do. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, they have a very firm control of, like, um, storytelling cycles and mythic things. Like, it really snuck up on me in a good way to realize that the reason I end up liking Abby even more than Ellie is it's actually the same journey as Last of Us Part 1. Abby is Joel. She's caring for a child and helping the child get to safety at all costs. So by the end, this character you don't know that took away Joel gives you back Joel. And it just is like anyone could fill that slot. Anyone could be a hero. Anyone could be a villain. Oh, man. Like, I knew that. But I don't expect that level of sophistication from a game, not even from The Last of Us Part 2. I actually thought Part 2 asked a little more of the reader, so to speak, than part one. Because part one is straightforward, just killer tension all the way up till the ending. And the ending made one statement that had gray area nuance that was very profound. Um, But it was just the ending. Whereas part two sort of felt like it started from that place of the bread and butter of this series is moral gray areas that are truly... Like, even the world's greatest philosophers don't know the right answer, you know? It's like, when is justice vengeance and when is it not? Uh, There's no correct answer. It's just people do things and and make the choices they make. Like, that level of gray area, that's well beyond what Fallout digs into, where it's like, well, I killed that guy, but he was evil. There's your gray area. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's the nuance of there isn't really a hero character and a villain character. It's just people make bad decisions sometimes. People submit to the whims of their own emotionality sometimes. And that's what's relatable. It's like not necessarily Mm -hmm. anything about what Abby does or doesn't do. Like I couldn't possibly relate to the concept of, you know, hunting down someone who murdered my father because fortunately that's never happened in my life. Um, But it's still the idea of, this person having a drive that is understandable because it comes from her humanity, but it's, it kind of corrodes and she loses a lot. Like both Ellie and Abby lose a lot because of their Mm -hmm. obsession um, with vengeance. And I think it's supposed to be reflective of character flaws in that way and kind of present a nuanced perspective on, you know, who's chasing who it's a little bit, you guys know, like I am legend, um, Mm-hmm. The movie, but also the book and the book kind of like did this a little bit better in the sense of presenting it as, well, maybe you're the bad guy because you're bursting into these, um, you know, caverns and, and stealing all of these, uh, you know, quote unquote infected people. But actually, they've just established a community like they're just trying to move on with life at this point in time. So it's kind of they're, flipping yeah. that. Yeah, like flipping that narrative a little bit and getting you to think about the specific actions and not just sort of blindly following like 
this is my new Messiah. Like this, this person has represented all that is good in humanity. Like probably not like probably somebody who you even can envision as a role model um, or, or someone that's admirable probably also does slip up from time to time because of their emotions taking over. Definitely. And I think it's so great that it does what all great zombie properties do, which is use zombieism as a metaphor for the theme itself. It's like the lust for vengeance and the obsession turns them into zombies, right? They just mindlessly go around slaughtering people going towards this thing that they can smell on the horizon that they want to get to and destroy. Uh you make yourself zombies. It's just so cool. Every time someone thoughtful does a zombie property, they have to find a new thing. Like whether it's you're all sheep addicted to mall culture or, well, we're all zombies when our emotions take control of us and we act unconsciously and we just let our emotions steer. Uh, it, it always zombies seem like the genre that I eternally get over. And then someone thinks of one more fresh zombie idea and I go, all right, that one's good though. That is a sure. good idea. <laughs> yeah. Which speaking uh, of, I've got to say that like towards, I guess, closer to the latter half of the game, um, when you start to explore the WLF run hospital and you go down into the, mm, the basement, it, it levels. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. First off, super tense. Like immediately I was yeah. like, I'm going to pause here for a minute, give myself a breather yeah. before I actually take this on. Um, like make sure to drag my brother in. Yeah, exactly. Very dead spacey vibes. Um, but regardless, like there was this, uh, there's a lot more of emphasis on the storyline of Outbreak Day because that was supposedly um, ground zero and the, the first place people brought people uh, on Outbreak Day unknowingly bringing them to this hospital to die basically. But you're like picking up letters and you're seeing how they shuttered themselves in and you're seeing what happens when the infection has been at its longest. Um, so it's just really powerful on so many levels, but I loved seeing all of those letters that talked about military presence, the panic and the fear, families being torn yeah. apart, like limited yeah. communication that was confusing people. Like, and it's just so sad to see all the ways that, people kind of doomed and damned themselves because had they known better, which how could they, but they, they went to the facilities that they felt like could protect them. Uh, and it turned into the absolute worst possible decision. And that's the kind of thing where you think about what if this did happen? Like, how would mm -hmm. I respond? How would things roll out? And the first game never really touches on that stuff as deeply, um, mostly through like lessons to for Ellie, because this is the only world that she's known. Um, so they kind of talk about it briefly, but I love that level specifically for that. So it, it also like kind of captured the zombieism there too. Unfortunately, yeah, I think we're getting a bit of a preview in the real world with the fact that there is a pandemic and people are going to pool parties and barbecues and crap. I think that's, <laughs> that's a lot true. of us would not respond well to the threat of a zombie but, virus. But to make a combat, to make a contrary remark, though, that's because they're not getting their faces chewed off by other people. Yeah, it takes I, it to a new I level. I think I'll, it I'll would change. <laughs> I think a lot of people would have a hard time denying the zombie biting their neck out. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong about that. But is it not enough that I don't, I man, I don't know. Yeah. I different know, you, podcast. You want to, you want to get like, into Corona cast. I know well, what you want to do. We're getting to the point yeah. where I have friends of friends who have died yeah. at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Don't we all like, isn't that enough? Yeah. It doesn't have to lunge at you and chew your face off. Can you not conceive of consequences outside yourself? <laughs> you need to play the last of us until you understand empathy. <laughs> Well, yeah, okay, so can I uh, can I make can I pivot into these other? I had two pivot. other little points I want to make. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. So the first one is one of the things I loved about this game that was not as present in the first game is that people were allowed to be more than just desperate for survival. There was there were people 
kind of of every shade of emotional makeup. And there were notes that were things that were not just like, okay, we got this plan. We got to like break in and kill the Fedra guy and get the, and like, oh no, Jimmy, hope you make it. Not like that was certainly present. But then you'd find a note that was just a drawing of a dick or like uh, a love story. Like, I hope this person, uh, I hope this person falls in love with me. Like stuff that was a lot more uh, expansive. And it made the game feel much more real than the first one did. And I would me. argue the community that you start in is so well built out quite intentionally to highlight that Ellie, it's all optional, right? Yeah. Yeah, Ellie yeah, yeah. is exactly. giving up so much for something she didn't have to do. She's yeah, choosing yeah. to do it. Yeah. When I think the game is, I think you're supposed to feel for the first 20 hours of the game, uh, you're supposed to feel uneasy in a way that you don't totally understand because I think you're supposed to disagree with her. Uh, I think you're Certainly supposed to disagree after with her for a while. Dina is pregnant. You're like, just call it and go home. How many Jeez. people got to die for Joel? I mean, we're talking hundreds, right. you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and like, that's always a video game problem. Like Nico Bellic screaming into the heavens, why city when he kills 50 guys? That's tough to believe. But in this game, it really feels like a problem that we're supposed to think about. So that's a very interesting tangent, actually, because I find that the closer and closer games get to absolute realism, especially where, especially when the plot embraces emotional nuance to a degree that makes it feel like a real-world experience, I'm starting to lose all patience for stuff I would blindly accept from any other video game. Like the fact that just wrapping a bandage around your forearm heals you I'm losing my ability to suspend my disbelief literally because every other aspect of the game is so good. I worry that they're setting a realism bar so high that... Do you, do you know what I mean? There's sort of yes. blind spots that are tricky because if you set the realism bar that high, I start having the James Bond problem where I'm like, well, if this is real, like real, real, why is he, yeah. he murdered a thousand people? How could like, you ever this was name real? Your, who would name <laughs> their daughter Pussy Galore? Get fucking serious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that wouldn't Although, happen. I have to say, too, like, um, there were at least two moments that I can remember off the top of my head that felt so incongruous with what I felt like the characters would have done um, in those moments. And it just threw things off for me where it felt like, oh, you're just trying to push her or, you know, into this direction where, where Ellie's going to be really villainous and making all these wrong decisions. You're kind of setting her up for the story that you want to tell. And it kind of took me out of it. The first one was when Jesse meets up with Dina and Ellie uh, and he's like, oh, you know, we're hearing about this shootout. We got to go save Tommy. And Jesse says, but look, we're going to go save Tommy and then we're going back. Right. You know, like that's that's it. Like, And she never really mm -hmm. acknowledges it. But the whole purpose of her coming out there was to go after Abby and in the process, I suppose, save Tommy and make sure he's not caught up in this alone, especially because she feels culpable because he went out for her, which also felt silly. Like, Tommy, you know Ellie. She's going to go after you. Why wouldn't you guys go together? You probably could have avoided a lot of death along mm, the way. Like, you guys seem that. like good components. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, just, just to wrap that up, uh, it, like, definitely was Jesse trying to tell Ellie, like, enough is enough. Dean is pregnant. We should probably go and not risk any more life here. But it just was never given the right amount of time to confront or to, like, have a discussion. And so it felt out of character to have Ellie kind of passively agree to it and then last minute kind of bail on him. It didn't mm -hmm. feel like, you know, what her ultimate values 
uh, would have been in that scenario. And then there's another one, but Adam, if you don't have oh, your No, no, take. no. Uh, I just wanted to say Tommy is a character I thought quite a bit about because uh, I, I, was, I felt disappointed in him uh, after the finish of the game. Like I was like, man, he turned into a real fucking piece of shit. Yeah, that and, was my next one, actually. Oh, great. Oh, then go ahead. Uh, oh, that's it. Ahead. Just him calling her weak or something. I forget what word he uses, but when yeah. when he when he drags her right back into the Abbey fight, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. What one year ago or whatever it was, or two years ago, you were saying to do the exact opposite. Like, why have you suddenly changed your mind because you lost an eye? Yeah, and you said you would take Joel's secret about Ellie to your grave just to make her life peaceful. Like you value her right, her equanimity, and now you're like wheedling her to continue her horrible quest. See, <laughs> yeah, and this like, is. This is where my take comes in. Tommy is weak. He's always... Oh, you think Tommy's he's, always been yes, a piece of crap? All, <laughs> not, not, not a piece of crap. He's weak. He doesn't, he doesn't have the, the strength. This is why he needed to avenge Joel. Because Joel was the strong one of the two of them. Like, he's the one who tried to be a firefly but couldn't, couldn't do it. Tried to be married, couldn't do it. Tried to follow his wife's advice, couldn't do it. Tried to get revenge, couldn't do it. Like, he's weak. Uh, Although he's, and, he's married by the end of it, kind of. No, no, he, he no. They, he leaves his wife at the end. Oh, I yeah. He that. and Maria take it are taking a break. He says ah, as he right, limps yeah. eyeless oh, right. over to yeah. Ellie and demands that she take vengeance. And why does he demand it? Because he's weak. And when he accuses her of being exactly the thing he is, he's doing what our president does, by the way, which is he says the thing that he is. That's what Tommy's doing, right? Mm-hmm. You're weak, but it's him that's weak. Uh, and there, I came to that conclusion more strongly when I started to play a second playthrough a couple of days ago because I it was like, oh, I just mm-hmm. want to try it again. And I and I watched the interaction he had more carefully with Ellie after Joel's death, and you can see the fear. It's unbelievable. Uh, the performance is so incredibly captured. Oh, and the face the face yes. capture technology, the, it, of right, course, is the tech next deserves, level. The tech deserves to be acknowledged, and by all means, mm-hmm. we can do that. But I want to say the acting that the tech is supporting is that nuanced and careful that you can see the weakness. And it's like, whoa, uh, that is an incredible thing for a game to do. Seeing, going back and replaying and seeing how clearly you can watch Abby realize that his name is Joel and that it's her Joel, that it's Joel, uh, long before they actually reveal, you know, before she says that's because they do know you and shotguns him, uh, made me realize oh shit they directed this like a real movie (laughs) like there's subtext playing across the actors faces that's mind-blowing that doesn't happen in video games you kidding me master chief is the most iconic and then mario (laughs) you know don't take shit on mario don't you take a shit on mario don't you do la and i think (laughs) la noir deserves a hat tip a fedora tip for like pioneering this but i don't know what the ins and outs industry wise are have been of developing the ability to translate acting but last of us two by far better than one it's a new has subtext playing across actors faces and that's remarkable that's so promising for the future it's very exciting yeah it also helps that the way the story was laid out leaves room for those opportunities um and adam actually you were saying something about uh that pacing of the story how kind of how it like makes you care all the right moments that part Mm -hmm. i actually disagree with because there were like when joel so i love joel from uh the last of us one as swain was alluding to earlier um i thought that he was he you know was a father figure to ellie he was a father um, to his daughter that he lost before the pe- before the outbreak day, um, before everything kind of hit the fan. 
Um, and so he just has this compulsion towards being a protector. And while that might not always translate in the right ways, like how many of us can think about our parents and think about like, well, they meant well, you know, and there's something so powerful to that is that mm-hmm. at the, at a parent's core, um, you know, hopefully for, for, the, for the most part, hopefully, uh, that's what their drive is, is to protect you, even if it's at all other costs. And so his role was not to be this most mindful person. It was to protect Ellie. And in that role, he succeeded. Yep. So I loved him and I like kind of had a feeling that maybe he would die in two because it's like a big, powerful storytelling thing to do. So obviously mm-hmm. why would they neglect that? Um, but when he actually did die, because it happened so early in the game, I didn't care as much as I thought I would. And I think it's because it's been years since the game came out. The first one came out and they had like the the only scenes that I saw between him and Ellie were really tense and awkward um, in that way that can only come from having this like, you know, big grudge uh, between them that kind of started to give them this estranged relationship. Um mm-hmm. But I didn't I didn't have like a full comprehension of what or why that was. You can assume yeah. that it had something to do with the lie that he told at the end of one. But this comes back to the um, combos that Swami, you and I need to have, which is I really felt like in that moment in the, at the end of one, Ellie kind of understood that he wasn't telling the full truth. And the way that she said, OK, like she just sort of accepted it in a way that was. I understand what you need to do and I'm going to be supportive of you actually in just Mm -hmm. carrying on in this like, you know, father daughter relationship. So in two, when they bring it back and the only scenes that you're seeing are like them arguing over it and her coming up with like pretty hard facts about the fact that he lied and he's still Mm -hmm. trying to lie. Like that didn't feel like what I knew Joel to do or to be felt like, you know, in a heartfelt moment, he would say he would kind of break down and tell her, why mm. why he lied and that he lied and he eventually does but it comes so far at the end of the game that at that point i've sort of moved on beyond that um and needing that resolution from the, that moment between one and two where there's this clear like narrative disparity at least mm-hmm. for me um but yeah, yeah i just felt like a like i didn't care at that moment when he died and then i cared way too late at the end of the game and there were scenes with abby that you don't fully understand until you see the scope of her background where you start to empathize with her because mm-hmm. she has, she also has a father that she lost and you can start to have an understanding and appreciation for that. But it rolled out in such a backwards way that my emotions at least were pretty delayed on it. And I think that's, I, I think that's a reasonable experience. I do. Cause like, I think that that's the gamble they took, right? When they chose to do sort of an a linear structure with how they revealed pieces of information, uh, mm-hmm. they took the gamble that you may not sympathize at the moment they want you to. It just yet, worked out for me. That's yeah. that's all I can say. I guess that's I, why New Game Plus exists. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I do think it's a game that going had knowing going in, there's like a richness to it that you can sort of suck out of the marrow. I also did find it very impactful because sort of a an unspoken thing was. I kept thinking, oh, and that's the last thing Joel ever said to Ellie. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then they kept going, no, 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 actually, there was one more interaction. And I understand in some ways that could be like an artificial teasing of information. But I also I found it impactful and I considered it sort of more masterful control of the information drip because I got to think for a while 
And the last thing he they ever said was like, <laughs> I don't trust you. Leave me alone. Yeah. And then half an hour later, you find out, no, in the last second, he did tell her the whole truth. Then he died. And you're like, oh, that changes everything. And I found that being jerked around in a good way. I liked retconning it over and over. It gave me like a new emotional peak each time where I was like, oh, that was his last words to Ellie. Okay, that that makes me feel this way now. I agree that I had I had less of an impact when he died. But what I really want to address is and yes, Tina's right. It's time. So I want to address my reading of the ending of this Uh one, because Uh I do believe in a lot of ways they're actually being very safe. Abby uh, becomes a Joel figure like the the arcs are shuffled around, but it's not it's of a piece with part one right the themes are similar and even some of the arcs have a similar trajectory i do think they were conscious of not messing with their formula overly uh so that implies that there's a lot of weight on the ending and that the ending is semi you know obfuscated and something you have to sort of read into and it's going to be nuanced and gray area e and i found that the ending here very much was if you look at it through that lens and specifically i'm talking about the fact that ellie leaves the guitar behind at the house when she walks into the woods at the end because like a movie would focus on a prop by cutting to it frequently and thereby imbuing it with lots of meaning. This game, for seemingly no reason, has you several moments where you can play the guitar and a whole team of people made the guitar playable with the swipe pad, all to put this focus on the guitar because the guitar is a thing that Joel gave Ellie. It obviously represents Joel now that he's passed. Um, The fact that she leaves it behind and doesn't kill Abby to me seems to imply that the statement is that in order to so like to seek vengeance as an act is a statement of support of the person who was killed it is to say he didn't deserve to die so by you killing him it was unjust and the things need to be righted the scales need to be righted by more blood being shed on your side because it wasn't right because he's a good guy and it's saying yes he could be complicated he could have flaws he could have lied to me but in the end he's my like father figure and he's a good guy deserving of justice and i think the fact that she abandons her vengeance and then leaves the guitar behind implies that in these cases The real challenge that Ellie has is realizing, no, he's not. He was not a good guy. He was not deserving of justice. Abby's a good person. Joel actually was a piece of shit. And she accepts that at the end and doesn't care about the guitar anymore. And that those things are joined. That this that her just her quest for justice is a statement to the universe that Joel was her father figure and by the end giving up vengeance by the same token implies no he wasn't he was just some guy who gaslit me which is devastating and i cried about that interpretation as the credits rolled but that is my interpretation is that ellie ultimately decides joel wasn't shit uh silently in a way that I don't even think every gamer will come to that conclusion. But that was my conclusion. And I was like, if Tina has even an inkling of this interpretation, she's going to hate it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's it's funny. Like, I can see the threads that, that got you there. But I guess my interpretation was a little bit more like, because I was so focused on Abby and her growth. And because I went from hating her to actually really liking her by the end of it, Um, And then Ellie's growth, where I went from loving her to kind of not respecting her by the end of it. So I was so focused on those two's uh, character development. And for Abby, she had the moment where 
she could have killed Ellie and could have killed Dina um, and then had this reckoning because Lev kind of pulled her out of that like vengeful uh, mentality in that moment. Mm -hmm. And she gave it up. So she had that moment where she felt like I could do this if I want to, but I'm choosing not to. So it was a moment of growth that she was exhibiting. Um, And then for Ellie, you know, I guess because Abby had gotten the last word at that point, uh, she goes through her arc a lot slower. So my interpretation of the ending was that when she finally got her moment where like, I can have everything that I want and I can have everything that's driven to me, driven me to this moment. And then finally reflecting like, but is this actually going to give me any peace? In that moment, she finally had her growth, uh, her like growth moment where she can look at Abby and say like, okay, I can clearly do this if I want to. So now I'm choosing now that I have the option, instead of being bloody beaten on the floor with my girlfriend, my pregnant girlfriend over there, also, you know, who knows what stabbed it with an arrow in her back and, or shot with an arrow in her back and, and beaten um, by Abby. It's just such a different moment to, to reckon with. Like in that moment, I, I have to imagine there's a lot of just vengefulness driving you. So it's almost a peaceful moment for her at the end or like, a you know, succumbing to it. Like this isn't going to bring Joel back. I don't know that she felt like um, he was, he was uh, ancient as you, as you put it, Swain, mm-hmm. but because she goes through that period of time where she feels like he's horrible she neglects him for we years. assume yeah, yeah years. exactly years on end so and then it's the, those final lines where you could because i actually didn't oh. understand why she was going on her vengeful trip yes of, you know across the west coast um until that final recording came and then it brought everything back together so it felt like uh she had finally embraced that joel is super flawed um, but ultimately was driven by love for her. And then she actually, in the the first moment where she and Abby uh, confront one another, she says, like, it's my fault. So she finally takes the blame of, he was just doing it to protect me, and so I'm going to take on this this guilt and culpability, uh, probably just, you know, in a moment of, of stress and depression, uh, as people do. Um, but so, yeah, I had a very different read, but th- that's a fascinating uh, way of interpreting it, especially because of the guitar symbolism. That's what I was going to say is the only thing I can't buy is then why would she leave the guitar behind? So There's no I have a theory, way Mike. that doesn't mean something. Yeah. I have a theory, Mike, and that is this. So when when Ellie realizes and I think she knows at the end of Last of Us One, that's why we liked it. Uh, but when she confirms in, in the middle mm-hmm. of at the midpoint of this game, it's. It's a surprise to us because we assume that she's going to discover on this quest what Joel did. Like, for, like that's, that's part of what is supposed to be motivating us, right? Is that we're supposed to think she's going to find out. And then we find out at the midpoint of this game, right before we sort of pivot to Abby's story, that she knew and that she had, in fact, frozen Joel out because of it. And the reason she did it is because she wanted her life to mean something. She wanted mm-hmm. to give her life for something that means something. And so then she spends two years in what must have been a sort of frostbitten, broken relationship with the only person that actually loves her in the world. There's a lot of people that like her. The only person that loves her that's left in the world is Joel. And she lives in this frostbitten relationship with him. And then she finally, the night before he dies, decides, I'm willing to try to fix this relationship, even though you took away my reason for living. You took it away from me. And then he Mm -hmm. dies. And so one has to assume, I think, or at least what I came to as I was asking the question exactly like Tina was, why is she doing this? Is that she didn't have a meaning for her life anymore. 
And so like this vengeance quest as futile and sort of empty and vapid as it is, was the only meaning that she could derive from life. And she was trying to find it there. Right. And that's why she and the goal was kind of arbitrary, which is why it was treated arbitrarily the whole time. And so when she finally gets to a point at the end where she's sunk everything that she, that she has to live for, like her wife and now her child, or I guess, wife, I don't know, girlfriend. Well, that's and child. I just and I won't interrupt for more than a second. I just want to say I, I agree with I think Tina referenced earlier. It's just like that was the real heartbreaker for me. It's almost unforgivable in a way that does make me think less of Ellie. Yeah. To give up the Dina opportunity. Right. It's, that that it's was a lot. such an, an obvious opportunity for a happy life that because you just shat on. <laughs> she, and I, and I say this as a, I think, I think if we're all going to be honest, right. And not put, not like on a podcast, honest, but off the mic, honest, I feel like we would all say, we know what it means to try to destroy yourself when things aren't, when you don't have a, a clear reason to live. We know what that means. I think everybody knows what that means. And I think that's what she's doing. And I think that she comes all the way to the precipice of having to destroy another person who's destroyed themselves for exactly the same reason. When she realizes, like, what am I, wh why? Why have I done this? Right? I really think that's what it is. That's why I found some hope in that decision at the end, even though it was so ugly. And the fact that she leaves the guitar behind is a statement that Joel and his hold on what she has been, both because he re rejected her original purpose for her life and because she was she tried to use this broken relationship as a new purpose for her life, all of that has to be left behind. And she's starting new now. And I, we don't know where she's going to go. Um, probably which back is the to only Jackson, reason there could be a Zena probably went. You'd think, but maybe I not. Like, she's where gonna else try is she going to go it. with yeah. the baby? Yeah, like she right. knows so many people back in town. It's like, oh, there you are. You don't. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, she'd just have to eat a lot of crow and apologize for a long time. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. I think exactly. Dina would let her do. Let's be honest. I think she could get back with Dina if she pushed hard. Uh, Dina, <laughs> I agree. Dina yeah. was, I'd like to think. Dina was Dina committed, was committed long to suffering this. and yeah. very, yeah, Thank very you. forgiving. Yeah. Thank you for saying that word because I, I have, one, it's not a long point, just one very small point I wanted to make. And that is uh, the suffering and teaching, suffering and learning. Um, suffering, though we never want to admit it, is a huge part of what it means to learn in life, right? And, and what it means to learn like the deeper things. And this game, I think more than vengeance is actually about suffering because everybody in it is suffering from one rejection or the other and from one failure and, and loss or another. Right. They even almost seemingly for no reason, but it supports what you're saying right now. Jesse used to be dating Dina. God, it's like ev right. everyone has a concrete loss. That's yes. very intentional. And they're, yeah. all, they're all trying to navigate it. And if in case that wasn't enough, Naughty Dog decided we're going to deny you the thing you want, which is emotional catharsis and deny you a break from this pain, like from the violence and deny you the information that would make you that you're playing this game for. Like they make you suffer when you play this game so that in this and I, I don't know if you want to call it spiritual or if you want to call it autoerotic. I don't know. But so that you have this sort of. Uh, more potent emotional reaction when they finally deliver it, um, or that's the mm -hmm. that's the that was the attempt, and for me it worked, but I don't think it works for everybody, and I think that is why so many people are so angry, because they're not used to the idea that a game's going to say no, you don't get to have the same fun you want, and you don't get to have it when you want. You're going to have the fun we plan for you later, but you have to wait for it, and that's hard. And you know? yet, I do think the games rhyme, and I do think. 
the first ending was bleak. It was. Because it's about your saviorship is built on a lie. So I'm just going to push back and I'll, and then I'll stop. <laughs> Two things. Uh, so there, and zombie fiction is generally, as a matter of tradition, the underlying moral is bleak. Um, so I, I still choose to believe that the ending of part two is incredibly bleak and is that Ellie is never going to win Dina back and she no longer cares about Joel. But that's just, that's you gotta do what you how gotta I do. get off is I yeah, like it, it being super bleak. <laughs> and my, my last point on that is the uh, guitar necks emblazoned with the logo of moth and the load screens in this games are moths and in the last game it was dust particles in a shaft of light that slowly diminished until there were like only two lit and i always thought that was joel and ellie and it was just simply saying the last of us we start as motes of light and we dwindle well if you follow that the load screens mean something and the moth on the guitar means something what do moths do they try to find the light but it burns them alive so i just believe that the bleak interpretation is the interpretation that Neil Druckmann intends, but oh, maybe I mean, I'm wrong. The, the, like <laughs> going into the light and burning due to it is also could also just be a you know being so hyper focused on on getting your vengeance and your perceived notion of justice is what eventually uh, hurt Abby um, and hurt Ellie too. So that that interpretation still tracks for your moth That's interpretation. True. Yeah, that's interesting. The moths definitely mean a thing. There's yes, no question, and it's not clear everywhere. what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not clear what it is. I, I spent some brain power on it, and I got mad because I was like, "Oh, this is not a clear enough thing that I can answer it." Okay, fair enough. Can I? I know. I know you probably want to wrap it up a little bit, but I. But we haven't talked at all about the game. And uh, I want yeah, to just talk a little bit about it. Mechanics talk. Yeah. Uh, before we have to hit the road. I'm yeah. so mad about how good the simple addition of a jump button and throwing rope is. I'm so mad about how easy, like such obvious things. And it's like, oh shit, this game is way better because the of the button jump is button. Huge. Ugh. It completely redefines how you strategically think about stealthing around the areas. Yeah. Yeah, and at times I even just like boarded over a container unit and just sniped off zombies coming at me because inevitably like there's going to be a stalker and you can't right. go stealthy for whatever reason. So it does add, add a little bit of depth to it. But the, the rope throwing, I feel like happens a handful of times across like a 30-ish hour game, which felt yeah. weird. And yet uh, my stupid brain got stumped by about two thirds of those puzzles. Like I, They were real <laughs> they were brain busters for me, man. I was like, fucking, what am I doing with this rope? Did uh, anyone else do what I did, which is I started role-playing my gameplay, meaning I, as Ellie, was incredibly stealthy always. Stealth was number one priority. And as Abby, I always just ran in guns blazing and did it as a shooting level. I love your That's commitment to role-playing. Yeah. Okay. I love, your, right. I love your commitment to that. Yeah, I, I just felt like they should have different styles. <laughs> well, they do. You don't have a, like I did love the, the crossbow is just so key. It's uh, so huge. much better than a plain old bow and arrow. Yeah. Um, Way so better. use the hell out of that one. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Love that. I felt really mad that Abby got it. I was like, come on, man, give it to fucking Ellie so I can. Well, the built out craft, the slightly built out crafting tree was, is much better than the first game. I thought like yeah. the crafting, in the first game, sometimes the encounters actually felt clunky and superfluous. And Adam, you said it could be. I, I agree this game could have been two-thirds the length it is. Yeah. But the encounters themselves, 
even by the end of the game, I was not bored of actu- of the actual encounters. And I think it mainly comes down to exquisitely built areas and highly variable enemy AIs. Yes. Like, th- I could tackle those scenarios over and over again. Like, how am I going to navigate it this time? These scars really, they really wander. <laughs> and they have dogs. That's true. <laughs> those oh, man, damn the dogs. dogs. The, uh, dogs, the dogs, I hate were the so dogs. Tough. Yeah, so <laughs> I went through this weird emotional roller coaster with the dogs where it's like, at first I'm like, no, I don't want to do this. And there was one point where I killed everybody else but the dog. And I was like, can I just let the dog live at this point? Like, it has no master. Can't I be its new master? But of course, obviously, like, you know, the mm-hmm. game is not that in-depth nope. and complex to allow for that. So you have to kill the dog ultimately, or otherwise it starts attacking you. And I felt so bad um, those those first few times, especially because like you will stab a dog repeatedly um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in some animation yeah, yeah. scenes, like You're gonna it's have to. brutal. Yeah. yeah, but then after like the fifteenth dog, I was like, I'm targeting the dogs first. I'm getting them out of the way. Yep. They're super annoying. Like I hated them. And then the whole like Alice dog comes into the picture afterwards is like practically a character you get to know. Yeah, and then it becomes heartbreaking all over again. And that's the whole idea, right? They they ah uh, they just Those like sons of bitches refuse, with the Alice move. They refuse yeah. to Alice move is so cheap. They just yeah. won't let you have a video game moment. They're like, no, no, you, you get used to killing the dog. Now here's a real dog. How do you like that? Look what you did. Yeah, <laughs> you, look you at played you. fetch with this dog. How do you feel about that now? Yeah, look at you piece of shit. You killed all those other dogs. They were all Alice. Look at you. This dog comforted <laughs> a child Angela's. who was under going PTSD <laughs> and you true. stabbed it. Yeah. This was the first dog for Lev um, to kind of reassociate as anything right. that isn't just a death machine yeah. out to get you. And I, wow. I, I love that just, I mean, love is a strong word, but it's like, Lev is arguably the most innocent character in the game and he Definitely. murders his own mother. <laughs> There's just no one in the game without blood on their hands. It's, yeah, it's, so that that seemed like you know self defense to the to the absolute measure of that because um, you know we we it was set up for a while um, where like it was obvious that like their mom was really hyper traditional and wouldn't be able to wouldn't be tolerant at all. Um, so I think uh, they set that up to where like uh, their mom was just going to attack Lev immediately, so he had to defend himself. Uh, yeah, I felt, uh, can I just briefly, uh, the, the Seraphites, uh, I actually kind of liked them as a critique of, uh, of what I guess we have to say as Christian culture, right? I, I, I liked them as a critique. Uh, although I felt incredibly uncomfortable with the symbol that they were passing around, which was clearly a vagina cross with an ichthus. Did you see the What's thing? What's an, ta- an ichthus? No, dude, an ichthus is like those fish that Christians used to put on their car. You know those. Oh, okay. And it's oh. like, yeah, yeah, look yeah. at it, the, dude. Look at it and tell me it's not an ichthus crossed with a vagina. It's everyone like, calls it a Jesus fish. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, the term the term ichthus uh, dates back, Michael. No, I'm just kidding. But 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 no uh, no no. You're the guy who, when we say scars, you go, it's seraphite. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. No, so uh, I felt very uncomfortable with that symbol because I thought it was a little crude and like a little thoughtless. And but maybe I'm a the only one on that knew enough to be bummed on mm-hmm. it. Uh, I don't know. So there was that, and also uh, nothing warmed my heart in a game in the last three years more than Ellie putting hats on those fucking dinosaurs. <laughs> I didn't no, think yeah. I would care about that. <laughs> oh, I for me it was. It. I loved it. Right. Riding in the space capsule, yeah, was yeah, yeah, that was great. Such yeah, a moving that was moment. amazing. Yeah, that that's the uh, the Last of Us Two's giraffe moment, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although that whole scene, um, you know, in the museums and whatnot, uh, that dynamic dialogue where you're supposed to be exploring the world, traversing the world, 
you know, in, in the first game, it was like looking for a ladder. And as you and Joel are, or as you and Ellie are looking around for ways of traversing the, each level, you're having that kind of dynamic discussion. So it's sort of filling the spaces as you're working on these like really light gameplay moments. But it didn't work quite as well in um, The Last of Us 2 because I like, especially when you're going through like all the spaceships, you have to hit one, like hit triangle, sit there, wait for the entire dialogue yeah. to roll out because you're just going to move an inch to the left and then hit triangle again and do the same thing. So it didn't roll out in that kind of like natural sequence that I, that I was sort of expecting. Yeah, it's like that eighth Tarantino film. It's like, bro, cut an hour. You know, like, yeah, like, yeah. Make a, like you still know how to make cool movies, cut an hour, and then it'll be a cool movie. Uh, same problem here. It's like, guys, you just, you know, skip to the space castle. Like, skip, Can skip I ahead. just also shout out how, because uh, I, as a child for about 10 years, I really wanted to be a comic book artist. The uh, superhero cards that Ellie collects are rad. Oh, like, you the love them? Actual, the character conceptions and the art, I just thought were phenomenal. Right up your alley. <laughs> they were yeah. really cool characters, yeah. I thought of you when I was collecting them because I was like annoyed and I was like, Mike probably loves this. Uh, okay, yeah, the <laughs> Seraphite symbols like... A fish uh, standing on its tail. Is that what they're saying it is? To appear like Yannick, which is the opposite of phallic. Okay. Mm. Mm. Well, that's because I... Also, I I thought we'd find out more about the uh, lady who defected from the scientists and formed the Seraphites. I I didn't actually find out much about her. Well, we find out that she died. I don't know if I missed things. She died, and then they twisted her writings into a militant... Uh, basically death right. cult, uh, but she was sort of a, a Christ figure, you know, like a, a sort of a good teacher type. Well, I was resisting tying this to like larger so- society themes, but if, but since you brought up just the idea that it might be a critique of Christian culture, I don't necessarily know that The Last of Us 2 is trying very hard, at least, to critique culture, like, as a whole. Maybe it is trying really hard, and I'm dense, but uh, I I do think if you view it through that lens, there's a lot of interpretations there. I just don't know that they're intentional. Like, my, my weird, bleak interpretation about Joel, her finally realizing that Joel is not to be admired resonates really really well with what's happening right now in america and sort of the idea of tearing down confederate statues or you know looking back at your history and realizing even though the culture that gave you birth gave you birth it still might be drenched in blood and nothing to be proud of um i so i i do think you can read stuff about society into it. I don't know that it's, I don't know that there were a lot of flags saying, yes, read that, that way. Uh, she's or, the, the, the prophetess is clearly has a Madonna image like, like several times. Uh, like it, yeah. it's, it's rendered in a way that it, it cannot be by accident. Like even the Ichthus piece couldn't be by accident. In my opinion, you couldn't do it by accident. Am I stretching or would you, because it just seems to me that if they're going to comment on Christian culture in response to a trans character, then maybe Joel and Ellie are also commenting upon facets of society. But I don't know that I have that all figured out in my head. If indeed that's there, we could just be projecting. Uh, I mean, this is my opinion. And Tina, I'm sorry. If you want to say something, please interrupt me because I've been talking. So 
in, in my opinion is they wanted a Christian culture critique because number one, they wanted a weird old society, like a weird, you know, traditionalist society. They wanted a third enemy type yeah, yeah. also yeah, yeah. was a thing. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and uh, because it makes it so much easier for us to understand the trans story because it's a, it's such an easy backdrop for it. You know what I mean? Like, so they're just drawing, and I don't mean that they're like literally critiquing evangelicals or anything. I just mean they're using a kind of known set of tropes and a, and like some pretty common imagery to fill in the backstory for this group enough that you don't have to spend forever learning what they are. Yeah. But I find myself resisting the notion that it's like a commentary on current politics or anything like that. I just don't think they do that with their game that they want to sell a billion copies of. I mean, definitely in the lines of like they they want to have they want to critique people's intolerance yeah. and they tease that in the, in the intro, mm-hmm. which actually I felt super weird about it because I was like, it's the apocalypse. People still care about this kind of I shit. Know. Like, don't you have something more important to worry about than someone else's like sexual proclivities? Because it was with Ellie yeah. um, and Dina uh, kissing on the dance floor and how it resulted in, I don't know, that bartender character uh, turning around and, and like, you know, being uh, really rude about it and, and kind of like saying something along the lines of like you people or whatever his commentary yeah. was. And it just felt like such a weird thing. Like you're too comfortable in the post-apocalypse. If you're that concerned about what other people are doing uh, when it comes to their relationships where it's not like affecting you at all, aside from having to see them kiss briefly on the dance floor, I suppose. That's a fair point. Although I'd argue even not in the apocalypse, if it's not affecting you at all, just like, you know, maybe your life isn't threatened enough for you to be, you know, focused to on other things like, yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, so it, it did, it was a little bit weird, um, as far as just the setting there goes, but that to me, and then obviously leading into the Seraphites and, and their, uh, level of intolerance too, um, was definitely felt like a commentary on that overall, but not necessarily like, I didn't pick up on any, nece- uh, on any like particular kinds of groups. The only thing that I noticed as far as a pattern goes is that all of the groups, felt like what they were doing was right. So it's just like general sentiment of, you know, we have these these edicts, we believe in these things. The WLF, the Wolves, and the Seraphites both have this, like, greeting um, and goodbye kind of, like, uh, rhythmic um, back and forth. So it's, it's showing the similarities of, like, you, you guys are all just a group who thinks you're doing good things but are actually severely flawed and yeah. there's a lot hiding underneath there. And that came to me for the first time with the wolves, aside from the fact that like there's this super militaristic group of people. Um, when you're wandering around as Abby in the uh, in the grounds for the first time, and there's just people that are clearly starved in cages. So like there's there's no reality in which that's okay, regardless of what they've done, as far as I'm concerned. So it just gave a sense of like all of these groups are horrible people is the only kind of trend that I managed to pull out. And they've all been able to justify that they aren't just because the apocalypse is so harsh that they're like, well, so-and-so down the way skins children alive. You know, we have to do this to survive. Yeah. I I don't think that I wouldn't say, by the way, just to be clear that the critique was pointed in any way. I just mean, they're using tropes that we can recognize to tell their story. Uh, I was going to say another thing is um, Christianity also ends up getting, critiqued frequently almost as an aside because Christianity is so baked into our fabric right. that they might have just been groping for religious iconography in general. Yeah. You know that, I mean? That's exactly what it is. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. It's not, uh, I don't think anybody at Naughty Dog's like, here we go, evangelicals. I'm really going to burn <laughs> these Christians. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just think that they, 
they chose Christian iconography, and I don't think that was an ignorant choice. I think they knew what they were doing, but it was. But it mm-hmm. fills in the blank because uh, it makes it a lot easier for us to. They don't have to have a long explanation for this poor trans girl. Uh, so before we understand the situation, you know what I mean. Like they don't have to have a lot of ground rules because it's like oh, I can. You can feel it. You feel the story because you know it. Right. It's it's simple as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, trans boy, for the record. Excuse me, forgive me, trans boy. I yeah, forgot. no worries. No. I got I got him crossed. Uh, trans boy. I did. Although that brings up an interesting point: is since it's come out, I've seen the trans community, a, a fair chunk of the trans community, critiquing it for, and I just think it goes to show that the only way forward is actual representation and people in the room when this stuff is made, because then you have people to bounce things off of, who at least ex- have experienced the facets of the themes you're trying to speak on. Because I certainly believe that Neil Druckmann and the whole Naughty Dog team are trying to show to show empathy and representation by including a trans character's story. But I've seen a lot of really interesting pieces since that are like, I'm trans and I cover trans issues and I just got to say, we only ever show up in stories to have the shit beaten out of us right. and have our pain fetishized. And I'm like, that's true too. Uh, very interesting. <laughs> and, that's true. And I, I agree that like the only obvious actionable way forward is just have people in the room from the get-go if you're going to cover these themes. Uh, do you mind if I change the subject? Not I, at all. I have, uh, there, there were just two things I wrote down that I could not believe. Uh, one of them was there's a piece of this game where you're running around the gym. There's a gym. You're running around in it. I believe it's during mm-hmm. Abby's section where you have to learn the Wi-Fi password to a gym in order to unlock <laughs> a safe. And That's I, right. I uh, shook my fist at the game for making me in the apocalypse learn a Wi-Fi password. That was <laughs> unbelievable. And I laughed a lot. Um, the more I think about it, the more difficult I find it to be. That you're collect- when you're collecting like the various like elements from the environment, right? Uh, and that's one of the things Last of Us does. Is, like it turns you in. Like when you see these big giant open spaces, you're like, oh my god, I'm gonna have to go through each of these rooms and get all the towels and like every mm-hmm. fucking alcohol. Gotta check to get all, all the bathrooms. Yes, exactly. Every and like you get yeah. anxious about it, and you get. I got <laughs> at some point at like hour forty of this or whatever it is. I just got so angry at the idea of only getting a quarter of a pair of scissors. I don't understand what a quarter of a pair of scissors is. Uh, oh, you mean like how is it possible right. that I only <laughs> yeah. got? This? Yeah. I'm trying to make <laughs> arrows out of this shit, and you're giving me a quarter of a pair of scissors. How? How is that a thing? It could be like a it could be like a broken scissor, and then you find another broken scissor, and then you use some duct tape because I'm sure that's lasted in the post apocalypse. Yeah, <laughs> it has just to look, strung them together. You have to collect it. You have to collect every kind yeah. of tape there is. It's uh, exactly. the quarter scissor. It's really vexing for me, Mike. I don't know if you sympathize. Maybe you don't. I found it very vexing. Well, we also ran a Cracked article back in the day about all the reasons a zombie apocalypse just makes no sense that are fundamentally misunderstood. Like, sure, right. gasoline, gasoline goes bad relatively quickly. Like, within six months of the apocalypse, there would be no working gasoline. It can spoil. Uh, I think bullets have a shelf life. So all these zombie shows that go far into the future, I think, are, well... I mean, they're wildly unrealistic because yeah. they're zombies. But even beyond that, I don't even think they're trying to grapple with what would this logistically no, of course really not. be how, like. How can yeah. they, they got to make a game here. Yeah. Tina, I have a question for you. Uh, yeah. Are you willing to defend the Rat King? Or, are you, or do you think it's dumb? Where are you on the Rat King issue? 
Wait, the Rat King issue? The Rat King issue is... Enlighten me. Is the issue whether you believe that a bunch of clickers could grow stuck <laughs> together? The like, pro- is it a viable oh, The protagonist thing? from inside, yes, yes, yes. which is called a rat right. king, it turns out. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. true. It is very inside. Like, yeah, how is that possible? I mean, I guess because they, they kind of tease it because, you know, you have the, I, I think there's stalkers or clickers that are like embedded into the wall. So they kind of tease that it becomes this like mutated version of itself where, where aspects are growing against the wall and you can kind of just be consumed into it. But yeah, no, that was a little bit ridiculous. It made for a good boss fight in a game where you like, you know, how could you possibly get more bossy than, than clickers yeah. and whatnot? Um, but yeah, I, I suppose it's a suspension of belief there that requires it. Although, uh, yeah, all they would have had to do for me to fully buy it was work in some world building where it becomes clear that a bunch of people got trapped in a small room and all got turned. So I'm like, oh, that makes sense that they would grow together because they're all trapped in a shower stall that, or something. That for would a, help. You know? Like maybe they didn't have any other room to go anywhere else. So they just sort of they were just shuffling around. Room. Yeah growing fungus yeah it it would help but like come on the rat king is uh absurd that's an absurd thing in this game compared to everything else the crap out of me i loved it as a game fun like like, take take out what it is intellectually and like what it is in the rest of the game tonally it's a wonderful boss fight it's very satisfying Mm -hmm. and uh fun to do but like the rest of the game's pretty grounded, and that one thing I yeah. found uh, difficult. Found it difficult to. Yeah, accept. it's a bit like if suddenly there was a zombie shark because they wanted you to fight a really cool thing <laughs> for the boss. <laughs> Although I will say it's, it's a far better boss level than something like when you're Abby and um, you're with Lev, and I forget the sister's name. Oh, uh, uh, but, so do I. I've been glossing over uh, it this whole time. Yeah, trying same to remember. here. I'm like, oh, the other sibling, you know. But anyway, um, th- when you're with them for the first time and it, you're uh, you're worried that they actually ditched you because they both like hopped out of the, the fence, which I didn't mm-hmm. understand why she couldn't just keep the sister with her as like yeah. collateral. Um, but regardless of that little narrative loophole, um, <laughs> that level was super painful for me. But like just like running around, not having any, like going from perfect stealth, knowing where everyone is, having my back against a corner at all times to just being bombarded by a variety of like stalkers and, and uh, clickers and then just the runners too. And a shambler too, I think at some point in time, I would much rather take more rat Kings over that kind of scenario. Okay. Don't forget the bloaters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There were a lot of different kinds. I think stalkers scared me the most because I hate that. It seems like it's cheating. It breaks the actual yes, mechanic. I agree. You're not supposed I'm supposed to be able to see you when I do listen mode. This is not fair. Stalkers <laughs> stalkers like just just eat shotgun ammo. That's what they do. They consume mm-hmm. it for breakfast. Cause like you, you just have to use it. There's no other way. Uh you're gonna get chewed to death if you try to pistol Man. those things. You know? Whoever invents just like a metal collar that guards the left side of your neck. It's yeah. just going to become a billionaire in whatever they use. State quarters, <laughs> I guess. Whatever the currency is now. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, okay, so so I, apparently I have the hottest take on the Rat King. That's fair. Uh, I kind of liked boss fights in this game. I didn't think I would. I thought it seemed kind of video gamey, but I liked that mm-hmm. they, pull, they pulled off a few and they were all pretty good, right? Yes, and I love the Uncharted style stuff where you're like in a... In a cutscene that's a rail shooter, you know what I yeah. mean. They're yeah, like yeah. driving in the cars, shooting out the windshield yeah. parts. I love those. Naughty Dog does those so well. Did you discover the Uncharted collectibles? 
No, I did not. They, they're well. I don't want to spoil everything for everybody, but uh, if you search real hard, every nook and cranny, you'll find a couple of things from Uncharted. Ooh. Yeah, which was you know cute. There's a bunch of Playstations laying around too. Yes, they were liberal and, with the Playstations in the apocalypse for sure. Yeah, yeah. and then Nathan, a Vita. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also made me realize Nathan Drake is just all is just Joel. <laughs> They're like the same protagonist, not in personality type. I just mean, there was like that list that went viral uh, not too long ago of every game where the cover is a brown haired, brown eyed white guy walking at camera, holding a pistol in his right hand. And God, there's a lot of them. Oh, my (laughs) God. (laughs) That sucks. Uh, (laughs) Should we transition to our final checkpoint, Mike? What do you think? Yeah, we got it. Okay. I think. Yeah, I think we should. Uh, and that I is, mean, we could do a whole other episode on this we, probably, but let's We not. could talk forever. I'm just the rat king. <laughs> oh, <laughs> believe me. We'll fill an hour. Don't you worry. Uh, our final checkpoint is uh, keep or delete, in which we decide whether this game belongs on the celestial hard drive, which, you know, uh, either God plays, I guess, or goes to the aliens. Uh, many people have inquired how big this hard drive is. The answer is, I don't know, 100 games, 200 games, something like that. Uh, does this game belong on that hard drive or does it not? Keep or delete? Yeah, I like to think of it as, does it make a unique contribution to the dialectic of gaming? That's your that, that's your criteria. Like, that's your criteria. Yeah, that aliens would be remiss right. to not experience. That's not the only criteria. I'll just say that, Tina. You're not shackled to his, to his uh, right. definition. Yeah, because my definition would be closer to something like, is am I going to replay this at any point in time? Ooh. Um, you know, is that something that I want to keep around? Like, let's say we hit our zombie apocalypse and I can only keep a hundred games with me and we're living in Jackson and somehow like PlayStation still work and whatnot. Would I want to have that game around? Um, I honestly don't think so because it's the kind of game that I have experienced for the storyline and I'll continue, like it'll continue to exist as part of conversations like this one. Um, where we just kind of like dissect things inevitably in the future, compare other narrative choices and, and more powerful storytelling to this game. So it'll continue to exist in my mind in that way. But I don't know that I would want to like, like I wouldn't play the new game plus for instance. You heard it here wow. first folks, zero out of 10 would not play <laughs> IGN. Last would, not part two. <laughs> would not replay. Wow. Would not yeah. dot, dot, dot play. End quote. <laughs> I, you know what? It was bleak enough for one sitting, you know, made me uncomfortable yeah, enough for, for the 30 hours or so that it took. I'll spare myself the next 30. That is the new game. The Seeing the new game plus screen come up immediately after finishing the game was akin to someone punching me in the stomach and then going, you want another yeah, one? You, yeah, you like right? that? Exactly. You like that? More uh, items, though. <laughs> Tina, did you, how many times did you play Last of Us, the first one? Only one time, actually. Okay, so, so same, same rules. rules. Same Ditto. Yeah. Okay. Swam, or you want to go? Although I could definitely see it be the kind of scenario where you would replay the first one before the second one came out. So if there's a like third game, clearly not The Last of Us, uh, you know, I I may want to play one and two again just to prepare. Yeah. Okay. Swam, or how you feel about it? You keeping it? You deleting it? Um, I'm keeping it. Oh. With the optimistic hope that there won't be any more, but that's probably not (laughs) true because they Naughty Dog doesn't shy away from sequels. Jack and Daxter went four and uh, Uncharted went four, so I'm sure it'll probably go four. But personally, I think it did 
build on the first one. And I feel like it encompasses the story of the first one because they heavily reference the lie and the and the story of the first one. That if you were only going to play one Last of Us game, it really is all in here. Like you get the full plot of the first one in here. Uh, and then I don't want them to make any more. But I would have said that last time as well. So we'll see what I say five years it from now. It is scary. It really is scary because any minute now they could make Back to the Future 3 out of this franchise. Right. You know? And I'm like, you're allowed to stop, though. It's okay. Yeah. You could start a new IP <laughs> yeah. if you want. I, You've done it before. I'd buy, I'd buy two <laughs> games of some other IP just to protect this one. You know, like... Uh, That's true. I would do that. So... Uh, I'm on board. For my answer... Um, I actually, I really deliberated this, Mike, uh, but I'm going to keep it. Uh, but I, res- I reserve the right to delete this if they make a third one and it sucks though, because that really would change my opinion. I, I rarely think that future installments affect the overall quality of, but this is a weird case where Agreed. I would retroactively change my mind if they make a I third totally one. I totally agree <laughs> because, uh, I want them to... Then I'd keep the first one. Yeah, that, right, which we already did, I believe. Uh, yeah. I want I want video game companies to do this. I want Last of Us 2 to be a thing that video games become, and that is uh, daring. Like, this is a daring game, uh, and mm-hmm. in some ways a defiant game, because uh, sort of like, like the mythical Grand Theft Auto 6... Last of Us 2 is one of those like, well, what would they even, what would even do? What would they even make? Uh, that would fit, right. you know, and they did it and they did it so well. And like, I, I do want to shout out to those people who are mad because it's just a revenge game. Uh, I've seen those takes. I've, I've watched a video or two that are those takes. And I understand why people feel like that, but I challenge you to turn off the expectation about what this game was supposed to be. And just the first game was just save the child if you want to view it that way. But I think it's reasonable for people to have expectations and then be disappointed because that's life, you know. But like I I challenge those people to like come back to this game in a year when the disappointment finally like, you know, peels off you like an old snakeskin and uh, see if you like the experience of it. Because to me, the experience is one of a kind. And uh, even though there's been two of these, I still think this experience is one of a kind emotionally. Um, And I love it. And I hope they keep doing it. Uh, And I hope other games take the cues from Red Dead Redemption 2 and from this game that made both of them are meaningful sequels that are different, but the same, you know? And I love that. Uh, So I'm keeping it, Mike. I'm glad you did. Me too. I feel great now. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you got that off your chest. God, I feel free. I feel free. Like I'm in a boat. Um, I feel Abby-esque. Yeah. That does sort of like give me a bit of closure from feeling like it redefined one in so many ways. Like it can sort of be its own standalone experience. Like I can still have my interpretation of one and this just be a kind of like different universe, like a pal- parallel kind of existence uh, where where something different happens with different characters and makes you think about different a different storyline. But the power of that storytelling you're a thousand percent right especially with like you know red dead 2 um being that same kind of congruous example uh i love that what they've done with the storytelling but yeah i would love to see that with a new ip oh for sure uh if if last of us 3 was about abby are you instantly in or are you instantly out Ooh. i would like to see if she met up with the fireflies in the end oh see you're already open tina you're already open to it yeah you're opening (laughs) doors mike that's true are you opening doors Hey guys, 
I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Again, it's it's that I can't help but have the same reaction as the first the time I finished the first game and the they proved me wrong, so they're welcome to prove me wrong again. But when I finished the first game, I was like, you don't need another one. Now I finished the second one and I'm like, okay, all right, I take it back, like well told. It didn't strictly need to exist, but it completely pulled its weight. Now you don't need a third one. And if they do a third one, I'll be like, well, you better not have mucked it up. Like, you well, know, you I don't better know. not it's do like, a fourth I, one. <laughs> I got my eyes on you. It's yeah, sure, make a third one yeah. if you want, but you're on thin ice. You're on a contingency basis. I, I will say, I'll take. Oh, please, please, Tina, go. I was just gonna say, I'll, I'll take DLC. How about that? So it's mm. not like a fully yeah. expanded yep. world. Just more more closure around the fireflies. Like, what happened to them? Did they learn their lessons? I think Left Behind is like my favorite DLC of oh, all time. Yeah. Ever. Oh my like, god! Like I sobbed like a baby. Oh my goodness! Oh my god, that was really great. I agree. Uh, okay, I love these. I love these opinions. Uh, I just the idea of Abby in another game, and I think this says mm-hmm. a lot. Is like, yeah, I could see it. Um, I mean, let's stop pussyfooting around. Abby for Super Smash Ultimate. That's what we all want. 
<laughs> Can you imagine? She, she's got way too much of an edge over Oh, my gosh. Else. She would just demolish, uh, just yeah, ripping exactly. Kirby apart. I'm sorry, but Incineroar fights for me now. I don't think that Incineroar it's is going to lose to Abby. Uh, actually, I really don't like playing with Incineroar. This bit's kind of getting old. Yeah, Tina doesn't know our Incineroar bit that we have along <laughs> running. Right. That's that's true. Why would she know? Let's retire it. Let's Fair officially enough. retire <laughs> Incineroar. We're going to put him back in the shelf. Uh, cool off Incineroar. I will say, Mike, to, to assuage your fears, uh, mm-hmm. Uncharted is so much more given to episodic. You know, like episodic. It makes more sense, yeah. Yeah, like I just, like Last of Us is like, they got to gamble so much time and money on an idea. Like, you know, it's a much bigger risk to make another one, so... I just want a sophisticated, bleak as hell Jack and Daxter 4. Is that too much to ask? You fucking love Jack and Daxter. You just love it so <laughs> I much. Do. It's like the Psychonauts, like a sub-Psychonauts. By the way, I heard uh, people mm-hmm. on this podcast deserve to know, Mike recently on IGN said his favorite game of all time is Death Stranding. You said That's Death well, first Stranding. Of all, you emphasize it's Death Stranding. No, I'm not, I don't accept you that. Played I already the game, don't accept that. that. <laughs> But that'll inevitably be its own episode. We should talk about Tune that. Tune in then, listeners, because boy, we're going to talk about that. I can't believe you gave that away on a non-Death Stranding you episode. You gave it away on the internet, on on the largest gaming platform there is. So that's on you, my dude. Well, that's well, where I, I really work. That's my real job. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty more about that to dissect, I imagine. That's well, true. Sure. Boy, yeah. Tina is nice to you, Mike. Uh, what a great <laughs> boss, because she's being real nice. Because yeah, so far so that's good. That's a real hot. That's a scorching hot take, and she's throwing some cold water on it. So, okay. I'm trying to help it along. <laughs> help oh, believe me, yeah, I've gotten some weird looks from. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we are all lifelong video game fans or we wouldn't work at IGN. Right, and when right, I right. started saying, you know, I think Death Stranding is my new favorite game. And I say it Death Stranding because that's how they say it in the game. People are like, get the hell out of <laughs> here. <laughs> <laughs> I can explain. Can't be cross. Kick rocks. I'll explain <laughs> another day. Kick rocks, you son of a bitch. Uh, great. Tina, thank you so much for doing this. We loved having you. Oh, my pleasure. It's, uh, I'm glad to be here. and Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Where can folks find your thoughts what are or at least like what social platform are you most active on are you a twitterer yeah twitterer out of all of them i suppose so just my name on twitter that's easy yeah. adam what's your uh labyrinthine twitter handle <laughs> it is the extremely complicated the real gans with a z uh same on instagram uh but if you follow me there uh why there's nothing there uh, mm-hmm. Don't do it. So, mm-hmm. but follow me on Twitter for sure. Uh, you can check out uh, other podcasts that I do and that you do occasionally on the Small Beans Network, which is where you are now. Uh, you can check those out, and you know, other stuff someday. But nothing I can speak about yet. Mike, anything else? Really? Are you hinting at something that you could tell me no. off, Mike? <laughs> That's exciting news. I, I can't okay. do that. I wish I could. It's like, did you land a project? I'm mm, not aware of. Wouldn't okay. that be something? Mm. Mm. All right. Well, till next time, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Maybe the weakest outro (laughs) we've ever done. Work complete. Hi, this is Kurtwood Smith. You remember me from such TV comedies as that 70s show and that 90s show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. 
People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.